center stage, center stage, center, center, center stage. Center stage. Just tell me about the genesis of this film, The Artifice Girl. Sure, yeah. Uh, so uh, over the years, I'd, I'd read a lot of articles about uh, how technology and AI were being used to hunt down predators and traffickers and criminals online. And I thought that was just like such a cool use of technology. What a, what a awesome thing to do with that. Uh, I, I wondered what kind of conversations the developers were having behind closed doors. Uh, so I, you know, that that was kind of originally how it started, but I, I'd sort of shelved the idea because it just seemed like too massive of a of a, of a project. Um, it wasn't until a few weeks later in the spring of 2020 that I suddenly kind of had this uh, eureka moment where I, I made like a thematic connection between the budding adolescence of AI and childhood trauma. And once that like parallel was made in my mind, I was like, okay, this is a story that I have to, I have to tell. Um, and that's really what kicked off uh, the writing of The Artifice Girl. Well, AI has been getting a lot of attention lately. I mean, you've got people like Elon Musk is saying that it's uh, it's going to destroy humanity. And um, I mean, even if we go back and look at the early Terminator films, that's what that was whole thing was about. Sure. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting because there had been a lot of films about uh, AI. I remember when I saw 2001 and how, mm -hmm. but they didn't call it really. It wasn't, it wasn't called that then. It was just, oh, here's a computer. And now yeah. AI is everywhere. Uh, does it terrify you or excite you or what? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, uh, I wrote the script back in, in 2020. So just in, in the past three years, things have changed a lot. In fact, like you said, nobody's talked about AI as much as they have in the past two months. It's become a very big topic that you know everybody wants to talk about. Um, so it was kind of crazy timing for us to have this be the release of our film. Uh, I, I do think that uh, th there are kind of two camps, like you said, of, of feeling about it. You've got the people that are really excited about it, which I think is is understandable, and then you got people that are absolutely terrified of it, which I think is also very valid. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure where I fall in it at, at the moment. Um, I do think it's interesting that it's depiction in film, like you said, with Terminator, with, with 2001, it's always kind of like an inevitable evil. Uh, it's always a Frankenstein's monster kind of sort of thing. And I, I think that the artifice girl sort of kind of switches that and instead portrays it more as a as as a child right uh, not just literally but also kind of uh th thematically i think that like children uh, ai is going to reflect uh, the best and worst parts of ourselves uh and you know even though the way that we depict ai in a film uh, and in 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 the future is a little might be completely off the mark compared to how it will actually unfold here uh very soon I, I do still think that the idea that that we try to convey and that you know artifact that that uh, AI is is a reflection of ourselves. I do still think that that's relevant. Um, if it's if it's designed for nefarious, criminal, or uh, opportunistic purposes, that's what it's going to do. And if it's designed for ethical, altruistic, moral reasons, um, then that's you know that's probably going to be better. But at the same time, still we are flawed human beings and those flaws are going to get passed on 
to the the systems and programs that we develop, just like children. So uh, you know, I I just think um, not not that anyone necessarily should be taking any kind of message away from the film. I just hope it incites conversation. But I do think personally that we should be approaching AI with uh, thoughtfulness, compassion, and uh, integrity. Um, and that's that's how I feel about AI. I was reading in the press notes and uh, you're writing about artificial civil rights and uh, how you should be nice to your appliances. <laughs> I mean, yeah. tell that to my PS2 that I got so <laughs> upset because I couldn't beat my friend in FIFA soccer. I smashed Stop it and threw it away. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't blame you. What I'm is this? This is like the woke culture just gone nuts. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I don't sure. even know where that whole thing came from. Anyway, the whole no, no, I I'm sure that that's like because that that's the argument, right? Like is oh, it's it's lagging yeah. a little bit. Uh, and and I I loved the way that's oh, sorry about that. Yeah, that's it's, okay. It's, Sometimes it's, it's the angry video. at us for yeah. For talking about oh, that. <laughs> that's it. Okay, See, there let's it is. just there take it a is. moment. Let's take a breath. Internet, I love you. Yeah, my computer, I, I, I love you. Um, Listen, I think um, you know it's it's not some someone framed it phrased it really well uh, when when I was doing all this research into the AI and ethics, uh, and even like several years ago, someone had said it really well. I think um, that you know sh should we be being polite to Siri or Alexa, or sh should we really not smash the elevator button doors? So you know, like. The, the elevator door button so so aggressively and and the way that she phrased it was like well it's not necessarily for the benefit of the elevator door button it's for our benefit it's so that we can start instilling habits of of compassion and thoughtfulness uh, uh in in regards to our artificial intelligent counterparts because one day that line may very well get crossed and we 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 may, we may not recognize that it's happened uh, so we should be sort of practicing habits now uh, because one day, who, who knows, it's not necessarily for the benefit of Siri. It's for our own benefit as, as people. Um, so I, I thought that that was a lovely way to sort of put it. And yeah, I think uh, artificial intelligence rights is something that gets brought up down the line. Like uh, that's something we need to be ready to talk about. Well, in your in your film, the characters in the film, they they kind of empathize with this character. Cherry is her name. Cherry, the the character. Yeah. And then eventually, you just tell them, "Go look, it's not real." But we have that. We do that with our pets. We mm -hmm. humanize them, and we think that they can understand our thoughts. And a prime example was that film Grizzly Man where Timothy Treadwell thought that those bears were like his pets. Sure. But they, you know, when one of them ended up eating him, Bernard Herzog says, the bear looked at him with that look of indifference. Sure, yeah. That last shot of that bear. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just fascinating. So I think this is going to be, especially when we start having these soft robots or we start having robots that 
like these real dolls or whatever that now that they can think and learn mm-hmm. we're entering a whole new whole new world it's kind of like we had the agrarian culture and then we got into the industrial revolution it displaced people but things are just going so much faster and this is the big concern it's going to displace almost every sector was like two thirds of jobs are going to be gone. Yeah, and that's that's terrifying to think about. I and I honestly don't know, uh, like how how soon that will happen, or you know what what that will look like, what the next 20, 30 years are going to look like be because of that. I, I love that you mentioned the whole uh, grizzly man thing, and and yeah, I think that there there are other there are stories out there that are kind of play with those ideas. Um, I know this film gets compared to Ex Machina a lot. Um, Love to Ex Machina. I, th- I think there, there, there's a lot of stark differences in, in uh, how AI is portrayed, but I think you're, you know, that the, in, at the end of that film, it's the same kind of thing that the humanity is, is it's a, it's a facade, an artifice, if you will, um, for, for just what the AI actually wants. Um, and the, the indifference that it feels towards humanity. But I don't know, you know, our, our film is not, again, not trying to make any kind of presumption as to what AI will be like in the future. It's just sort of looking at one uh, very specific uh, circumstance and example where the AI's whole intention is just to uh, replicate uh, human behavior. And in doing so, it confuses uh, its, its identity. Uh, but between being artificial and being actually human and simulates emotion and feelings so precisely and so uh, uh, fine, you know, um, uh, exactly that, you know, it's, that's the question are, if it's, if the simulation is exact, then isn't it just the same thing? Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know the answers to it, but I do hope that the film incites discussion uh, about, about those ideas and about those topics and, and those themes. Speaking of discussion, Wallace and Gromit. Come on, man. That that. What was it about Wallace and Gromit that propelled you on this quest to be a filmmaker? Uh, you know, when you're a little kid and 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 you want to be a filmmaker, which I always knew that's what I wanted to do, but it just always seems impossible. Uh, it's like wanting to be an astronaut when you're little, you know. Uh, but I remember watching Wallace and Gromit when I was, it was, I think it was the wrong trousers when I was like seven years old. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh, I can do that. That's, you just get some plasticine and you move a little bit and take a photo, move a little bit, take a photo. And you, you know, a bajillion photos later, you have a movie. So that got me into doing stop motion, which is how I, you know, at a very young age, I started learning the basics of, of, of film and, and film, uh, film form. Um, so yeah, I think that was hugely, uh, that was a huge moment for me. It wasn't until high school that I actually made some friends at school and started making live action, uh, short films and stuff, but yeah. And I also think it's, it's kind of funny. I I love telling that story about watching Wallace and Gromit and being inspired because what these people are doing, uh, is, is inciting emotion from the audience with, inanimate objects and you connect with these lumps of plasticine just because of the way that they're animated and in a strange way that kind of connects back to artifice girl how we're we're talking about an inanimate computer program right uh a a non-human entity but 
because of its design, because of the way that it it operates, there's an emotional connection to it. Uh, and I, I think that's that's incredible. That's film in a nutshell. It's just stacks of pictures on top of each other to to incite emotion. And uh, I, I just think that's that's really cool. Were you a fan of uh, Harry Housen? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Big fan of, and, of uh, history of stop motion, all of that. Now, did, were you also a famous Monsters of Filmland? Did you read that? Oh, man. Did you? Yeah. No, no. Oh, my I, God. God, I wish. I, I think that was, I don't know if that was, if that was still around when I was a kid. Um, yeah, it was. But, uh, it was, it I was. Did, well, I just sold um, issue 12. I think it was Bride of Frankenstein. I have a ton of those. Oh, wow. Yeah. Famous Monsters of Filmland. Um, yes. Yeah, put my hands on one, but I've, I've seen this, like, documentaries and stuff about it but uh no i think that's that's phenomenal again like those those people are, are so incredible and and again like that that was that was the pinnacle of animation for a while you, you could do hand-drawn and you could do stop motion and then in the mid 90s with you know pixar and 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 everything and, and cgi becoming such an a, a prominent tool now it's like every in every film that you're watching something that's cgi um you know i i i'm interested to see how ai could be used as as a tool in, in that regard or you know maybe it's just gonna take my job and and write movies uh, so who okay. what did i hear uh, there was an interview joe rogan um there was an interview with him and uh steve jobs all right, done no, there was an interview recently with uh, Steve Jobs and Joe Rogan, and it was all done on ChatGPT. Oh wow, that's great! Yeah, uh, I I think that's that's see that's interesting. I, I think you can make some interesting content with that. I apologize, you you cut out for a minute, so I wasn't sure what what you were saying. Uh, but no, I think it's it's interesting how uh, and and creepy too how you can bring people back from the grave to 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 do things like that um, and. It, it, yeah, it's it's kind of a spooky, unsettling, but still interesting and entertaining kind of uh, world that that we're we're starting to enter into. So, you're a man that loves storytelling and and unique ideas. What makes a good story? Oh wow, uh, <laughs> it's an easy question to answer. Uh, let's go. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I I definitely think. Um, Aaron Sorkin uh, is uh, his, his yeah. whole, he's like boiled, boiled down like Joseph. Cause I think Joseph Campbell's story wheel is like uh, uh, fantastic and, and prolific. And I know um, Dan Harmon boiled that down into something really simple. And then like uh, Aaron Sorkin boiled that down into just like two words, which is just intention and obstacle. Um, as far as, you know, that's what makes a story as far as what makes a good story. Um, you know, for me personally, uh, I, I don't know if there's like a singular answer to that. I think if, uh, uh, I think it's Fincher who says that film is, or, or story is uh, just like behavior over time. Like, and he's like got it down in like this weird mathematical e equation. Uh, I don't know if it, if it, in, if it incites feeling, you know, uh, and it's entertaining. Um, shoot. I don't know, man. Like I, I love, uh, I love stories about all kinds of things. I love stories where practically nothing happens. I love stories where, uh, you know, everything everywhere all at once happens, so to speak, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think, 
you know, for, for first time filmmakers out there, do, do make sure that you've got an intention and an obstacle. Cause that's, uh, that's super important. Make sure that your character is, uh, someone that is more complex than just their intention. Uh, make sure that there's, uh, a, a need and a want, but also be mindful of what your themes are and, and are those themes that people can resonate with? Are they ideas that we have or haven't seen before? If we have seen them before, why, why are you telling a story? What are, what are you, what's your perspective going to bring to the conversation? Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that is like a, that's a fun question uh, that I could probably talk about for hours. The way your film opens, you, you leave the audience, it's really unsettling because we have no idea who this character is, why he's being detained, but it's almost this, it almost felt Mammoth-esque, the dialogue. Yeah. And it, it's like you're, you're just revealing little cookies or little crumbs and you're not really giving the whole thing away. And this first scene plays out for quite a while. Sure. And it just builds this tension and we're going to, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And why is he so concerned? Sure. And, and it's just like the world is going to come to an end. Right. It's, it seems there's that amount of desperation and he gets no sympathy from the woman that's interviewing him mm-hmm. and she's a pit bull. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and just, we don't know what has this guy done? Is this guy a burp or what has he done? It's just this, this whole sense of unknowing. And um, how did you go about building that sense of tension and knowing when to reveal key plot, plot points to move it forward without giving away the whole lunch? Yeah, th- thank you. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, I had watched a lot of interrogation videos of, of real interrogations. Um, and I I think they're they're really fascinating because the the interrogators have this sort of rhythm to the cross-examination, the, the questions and the information that they that they kind of give the suspect and then like withhold from the suspect. There was just this really wonderful kind of psychological uh, sort of sort of system that they had. Um, and I thought that that was really cool and that, that would make for, for some really good like uh, cinematic scenes. Um, and for this story, I knew I wanted to hook the audience immediately. I also knew that my limitations were not going to let me do this whole globe trotting epic, uh, far the opposite because it was COVID times. And because of our limited resources while shooting the proof of concept, I said, how can we tell the story in one location, one room with three characters? And so the idea of the interrogation scene and having that be sort of the start of the story kind of came from that. Um, and as far as, you know, how, how do we hook the audience in those first crucial 15 minutes. For me, I actually found it was a very simple process of, of writing. Uh, I just kind of made sure, and I didn't really know that I had kind of done it immediately, but realized like what, what the trick is, is just every page you do one of two things. You uh, tell a secret, and then on the next page, you set up a mystery. And then on the next page, you tell another secret, and then a new mystery. And you just alternate each, each page. Uh, and it was just such a kind of perfectly paced way to get across all of this dense exposition because there's a lot of it um, that you have to catch the audience up on. But if you do that in, in if you do it in that way, uh, and it just, it feels like you're a fly on the wall of an interrogation. And I found that watching those interrogation videos were 
the most entertaining when I didn't have any context as to what the crime was. Because then I was like playing detective and figuring out like just from their questioning, what did this guy do? How much do they know? What do they not know? What are they trying to get him to say? Uh, and that's really in, engaging. And so I, I think hopefully if people have been saying that they they love the, that that first sequence for that reason, uh, that's that's the structure that we kind of base that off of to achieve that sense of tension and suspense and thrill. And I think that's uh, this innate thing that the audience, we have that. We go in watching films, no matter what it is, trying to figure it out. Right. Um, although I remember when I saw Birdman and I go, remember that one shot? Did you see Birdman? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That one continuous shot. But then all of a sudden, I became very aware of what the director was doing and then it ruined it for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, that's fair. I think uh, uh, it, it is, it's tricky because when people see like the setup, they see, they see two people cross-examining a third person and they get it right. They get what this is. This is this kind of scene. And so uh, that, that actually kind of played to our strengths because the, the film could have just been a, an hour and a half long interrogation, but it, it takes this twist and turn that, that we kind of set up sneakily, but it still feels very much like a payoff when we start to get into the whole thing of, CGI girl and uh, all of the stuff and who this guy really is. And then, you know, I, I, I hope that people, even when they have that moment, like you were describing when watching Birdman of just like, oh, I get what it is that we kind of continue to flip that and continue mm. to shift it and swerve it in directions that people aren't necessarily expecting, but are also going to be satisfied with. That's another, like, we can put that on the list of what makes a great story. Uh, I think that's that's something. Can, can you uh, subvert expectations while still uh, keeping things satisfying and uh, consistent? Uh, that's a challenge. So 25 top filmmakers to watch. <laughs> I yeah, didn't I, make the list. I think I was like way down. <laughs> they didn't want to look at my early eight millimeter version of Dracula. They didn't, that wasn't anyway, but I, I, I guess filmmaker magazine is running out of independent filmmakers. Because uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Uh, no, I'm, I'm very grateful. I'm honored, obviously, to be included yeah. on the list that the Daniels were included on like a few years before. Like that, that's just absolutely uh, uh, incredible. And I, I couldn't be more thrilled and, and, um, uh, overwhelmed with imposter syndrome, but it's, uh, but no, it's a, a fantastic. I, I really look forward to, to making more films and telling more stories and continuing to subvert expectations. I, I don't know if I'll ever uh, revisit the topic of AI again, but I definitely uh, think that my next few projects will be films and stories that take the best elements that people resonated with, with Artifice Girl, take the, the qualities that Artifice Girl did well and build on them in, in ways that the artifice girl never could have. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to working on the next few projects. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting you say that because you've gotten this recognition and then there might be, I mean, is it a fear that how can I do it even better next time? I mean, that's a big pressure, isn't it? Always, but I'm sure, you know, even like, uh, from what I understand, uh, even Tarantino feels that e even, uh, Spielberg feels that there's always this kind of pressure of 
what if the next one isn't as good? Uh, I feel like even though I'm going to experience that and do experience that as any independent filmmaker does and would, you do have to kind of let that go a little bit and just focus on telling, like you said, telling a good story and understanding how to do that, um, being, being receptive to feedback and uh, just keeping that drive and excitement that, that you had watching Wallace and Gromit on the wrong trousers all those years ago. Can you still keep that enthusiasm um, and that love of the medium? Um, and I, I intend to. What was the biggest lesson you learned uh, making this film Artifice Girl? That's a great question. Uh, that pre-production planning pays off uh, hugely. We we put a lot of time and energy into uh, making sure that our pre-production was um, tight and that there was going to be no uh, unnecessary coverage. We were very precise and specific with all of that, uh, shot lists, uh, storyboards, uh, diagrams, um, that, that was, I think helped us a lot in making the film very efficiently, uh, and keeping things, uh, concise. Um, I also think too, that, uh, as an independent filmmaker, you have to approach challenges as opportunities, um, opportunities for creativity. If you know what your limitations are, ask yourself, well, how can I make that an advantage? How will this allow me to tell a story in a way that couldn't have been told in any other way? You know, like, uh, so that if, if we had had infinite resources and had signed to deal with J.J. Uh, Abrams to, to make The Artifice Girl, who knows, it could have been that globe-trotting adventure, but then we would have missed a, you know, this, this intimate and claustrophobic and uh, very kind of uh, human, uh, this human story that we get from having the one location with the three characters. Um, so I think uh, the film is better for that. Uh, and I would encourage everybody out there to, uh, when you're making your film, uh, look at those uh, obstacles as opportunities. In closing, I would just like to say, as a member of the uh, Artificial Intelligence Civil Rights Organization, be nice to your toaster. <laughs> Please be nice to your toaster. Yes, yes. Okay. Be kind, be kind. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. And you've been listening to Center Stage with Mark Gordon and my special guest, Franklin Rich. Center Stage, Center Stage, Center, Center, Center Stage. Center Stage. Hello, this is Homie Simpson. Whenever I want to know what's going on in the entertainment world, I listen to Center Stage with Mark Gordon. <laughs>